As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Conscious Shift with Julianne Turner brings insights from leading voices and visionaries across the globe to guide and inspire you to create your own conscious shift into your true power and singular greatness. Through her expertise, author, speaker, and social innovator, Julianne Turner, a world authority on the creative process, guides you to discover how to consciously create the life, work, and world you most desire. And now, here's your Conscious Shift host, Julianne Turner. Welcome, everyone. This is Julianne Turner, your host for Conscious Shift today. And I want to invite each of you to imagine with me that you are standing in a corporate conference room. As the high-level team, you are poised to guide in high-level strategic planning is filing in around the table in the room. And this is a global 50 tech company. And in the hands of every person in the room, they are carrying a sheet of paper. And for each of them, it is their reorganization notice. <laughs> you are poised to guide them in planning, and yet they are holding reorganization notices that they've not even been able to read yet. How prepared do you think they are? to plan. Or, in another case, imagine that over the intercom as this group assembles, an announcement is made that they have just cemented a merger with another global company. How prepared in this milieu of uncertainty do you think that these individuals are to plan. In fact, I've been in both of those situations, believe it or not. And the question is valid, isn't it? How can we plan when things are so uncertain? And, you know, one of the first things that I would do is to just walk up to the whiteboard and in a big, inside a big circle, write the word uncertainty because we might as well face it rather than just ignore it 
we might as well address it directly. And so after I had drawn that circle and written the word uncertainty, I would ask the group, okay, when are things going to stop changing? When are things going to be certain? And after a bit of silence, lots of people would really begin to note that that was never going to be the case. Right? And so by acknowledging that uncertainty is always present, then we could step powerfully into creating and asking the questions, what is it then that this group that has assembled what are you here to do as a group, as a team, as a department, as individuals, to focus on what you can change rather than being paralyzed focusing on uncertainty, the only thing that you can't change. And so by being focused and grounded and powerful in their vision, their value, their purpose for being there, we could begin to consciously create the change that they were actually there to create. So my question to you is, what are you here to create? And have you ever been paralyzed by uncertainty that has kept you from moving forward? Are fear, uncertainty, and doubt the new normal, or in a world in conscious shift, are we being called to transform that fear and doubt into fuel for our brilliance? That's exactly the question our guest on Conscious Shift today is here to help us answer. Jonathan Fields is the author of A Breakthrough book, which some has, have even called sub, subversive, <laughs> but it definitely is thought-provoking and mind-altering. Uh, uncertainty. Jonathan has written Uncertainty, Turning Fear and Doubt into Fuel for Brilliance. And Jonathan, I just want to welcome you to Conscious Shift, and I just love that you use the word, the word fuel. And, and so why did you choose that word? as a cornerstone for your book about uncertainty. Hey, Julia. You know, first, thank you so much for inviting me. It's actually it's wonderful to uh, be able to have this conversation with you. And the word fuel is, um, it was chosen with a lot of intention because when most people think of the word uncertainty, the first association they have is negative. It's something which, which sends them into spirals of, you know, wanting to run away and maybe hide under the blankets for a while until it passes. Right. And, um, and what we wanted to do out of the gate was create a very deliberate reframe. You know, I wanted to say, yes, this is something that makes most of us feel very uncomfortable with who we are. But at the same time, it is absolutely essential to do anything really powerful, anything transformative in the world, you've got to actually not only learn to be okay with it, but embrace it and move into it and learn how to turn this thing, which, which turns most of us off, into something that, you know, first turns us on and then literally can feed us, become fuel 
for achieving all sorts of things that, um, that we really aspire to in life. Absolutely, Jonathan, and I want to I want to explore this with you. Uh, you know what you've talked about is taking those same uh, energies, those emotions, fear and doubt. They are powerful energies, and actually transforming those energies into something positive. So, what is the first step in that reframe before we get to the full transformation? When we encounter uncertainty in our lives, how can we begin to see it differently? Yeah, and, and it's a great question. I think the first step, you know, sort of like, you know, it's an addiction process, is admitting that we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, and, and it, there's really fascinating research behind this. We are, as human beings, our brains are largely programmed by the time we reach adulthood, and, and notice they say programmed, but not sort of organically, to experience having to make decisions and taking actions, which move us into that place of uncertainty as discomfort, as mm-hmm. unease, as anxiety, as we literally we get a visceral feeling in our body that makes us uncomfortable because it triggers the fear centers in our brain, the amygdala, and it's, it, it gives us that same fight-or-flight response. It makes us really uncomfortable. And our first response to that is we want it to go away. So that either, and that usually means that we become paralyzed, we stop moving forward, or we retreat. Or sometimes it also means that we move so quickly forward that we ignore all sorts of amazing things. So the first step is really to understand that our, our brains are literally wired to experience this sensation, action and decisions in the face of uncertainty as unease. And, and to then also understand that because that's how we sort of, we've come up and learned to process the experience, um, it's not necessarily the way that we have to continue to process this experience moving forward, that mm-hmm. our default reaction is not the only reaction, and that we can, in fact, do things that will allow us to experience it differently. It, it may never completely remove the unease, but we can do things in our lives, in our businesses, in our, in our sort of uh, environments that will allow us a far greater sense of ease, enough to, to actually allow us to want to embrace this thing in the name of creating really cool things in the world. Absolutely. So just to, just to flow through that with you, Jonathan, what you're saying is when we meet uncertainty, <laughs> it wakes up that what Seth Godin might call the lizard brain or Steve, yeah. you know, yes, uh, uh, would call that lizard brain, that amygdala, the ancient brain, that that and what we call um, resistance. Yeah. Right. To moving out of that comfort zone. And we experience discomfort. A- and that's our default, as you're saying. But you're saying the first step is to understand that we we have a frontal cortex. We have exactly. the ability to choose not just to listen to the ancient lizard brain, but to change our default and actually begin to experience that unease as something else. Now, what what can we shift that emotion, that unease, that feeling to? Well, we can shift it to a variety of things, um, but, you know, once we understand what it is and we understand that it's actually a signpost that what we're doing matters on some level, we can shift it first and foremost 
from being a signal that we should shut down into being a signal that we should go deeper and explore what it is about this scenario that's making us feel uneasy. And then instead of looking only on the side of, you know, well, well, what happens if this goes bad, that it's a signpost that we should understand that, A, this matters to us. That's why it's making us feel this way. And then we should look to potentially um, explore what other storylines we're telling about this potential opportunity. Um, you know, it, w- w- and, and we ask different questions. So, you know, the normal question we ask ourselves is, what if we fail? Mm-hmm. And then we tell a horrible doomsday scenario, and then we start to spin it in our heads, and, and that shuts us down, and that's the way that we tell the story and we frame the experience. Rather than pulling back and saying, you know what, this is the circumstance, and it's making me uneasy. I can't necessarily change this circumstance, nor do I want to, because it may well be a signpost that it matters, and there's immense opportunity. So how can I tell a different story about it that, instead of paralyzing me, mobilizes me? Mm. Beautiful. Okay, so um, step two, then, is is to actually begin to change that feeling of triggering, of unease, kind of stepping out of your comfort zone, um, uncertainty, not triggering fear, but triggering, you know, kind of curiosity and also really kind of some excitement. Gosh, this must be important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny when, when people ask me, um, I, I'm somebody who's never been at a lack um, for, of, of things to do. I, I've, you know, the word boredom just, it, it's not in my vocabulary, although I just used it, but, <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, there's never a day where I wake up and, and there's no opportunity in my mind in life that presents itself where boredom is an option. It's always a matter of, for me, how do I choose what's calling me the most? And, and I've learned to, um, I've learned to sort of tune into my visceral response and say, okay, when I think about this, does my body physically feel this? Do I feel that, you know, that response in, in the lizard brain, in the amygdala, that, that sort of, you know, primal center in my brain that sends chemicals through my body that makes me twitchy, that makes me anxious, that makes me, gives me butterflies in my stomach. And I'm actually looking for that because I want to feel it. Because if I don't feel it, to me, that's a signal that this particular path probably just doesn't matter all that much to me. And if it doesn't matter all that much to me, it likely won't matter all that much to anybody else. So I literally look for that, you know, as, as a signal to move into something, to choose between options. I, I think about each of them. I project out what would this look and feel like um, if I were to succeed on the level that I'm capable of succeeding. And then I, I kind of I turn inward. And I say, okay, how am I feeling physically? Am I getting a physical response to this projection? And Jonathan, you know, I want, want all of our uh, listeners to, to understand that you have experienced your share of mm-hmm. high-level uncertainty. You have. have a background as a former uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, you know, mega firm lawyer, and, and uh, you also are now a, 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 a serial entrepreneur. And so being... Uh, whether you're in corporate or whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're just in this world right now, you, you know, all of us are facing un- what we would probably say seems like a higher level of, of uncertainty than than ever before. And so did you begin 
um, where when you were at those at those uh, points in your life yeah. early on, and you felt that, ha- were you initially able to do that, or how did that come oh, about no. for you? <laughs> Not at all. It destroyed me, to be honest okay. with you. Okay. Um, you know, this has been a process for me, and in fact, I, I tend to write books that um, look for answers to questions that I have in my own life. Um, and, and this was exactly, I started this with a question. And because I know, like, like you mentioned, you know, I've, I've been in very high-pressure um, professions, and I've, I've started, built, and sold a couple of businesses, and there's a whole huge amount of stress and a huge amount of uncertainty, and it never goes away. The bigger you get, you know, the, 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 the further you have to fall. Um, so it's, it's always there. And I would say that I always got what I wanted because I'm a, a big visionary and I, I'm willing to take action and take risks. But there was always a lot of blood in the water with me. It always caused a lot of pain. Um, in fact, as a lawyer, I ended up in emergency surgery after perforating an intestine um, from literally the stress and the lack of sleep. And even while growing businesses, while I loved the process of creativity, I always felt like there was this, a certain level of suffering that would go along with it. And it came to a point in my life where I started to ask a question. I said, you know what? I, I touched down on the planet with this insane Jones to create. That's who I am. It's in my blood. But is suffering necessarily a part of that process? Is there some way, you know, to be able to go to that place, to take action and make decisions in the face of uncertainty, but not suffer, but be okay there? so that I can do what I'm here to do and actually be pretty comfortable in the way that I do it. And, and it's, it's absolutely been a process for me. And in fact, it's really just in the last couple of years that I've started to embrace a lot of the, the practices and the strategies that have really, that, you know, that, that many of which I speak to in the book, but that on a personal level have just completely changed my own creative process. And it's been, uh, it's been really powerful for me on a personal level as well. Well, we definitely want to share uh, some depth with those with those practices and strategies and tools, Jonathan. And and I think the the one thing that you just said that I think is important to acknowledge is that and and it may it may it, it sound like uh, negative news at first, but it's really not. And that is that as you said. That uncertainty is always present. The the I think many of us think, well, when I get to X Y Z level, then then I won't have this uncertainty. And yet, what you're saying, and I love the way that you phrase it in the book, you call it the myth of the fearless creator. Yeah. Can you can you share a bit about that? Yeah, and, and you know, it's we tend to look at people at the you know these world class artists and entrepreneurs and and innovators, and, and we tend to, to hold to this belief system that says that they're in some way different than we are, that they just don't feel it the way that we feel it. And in fact, there may be a very, very thin slice of humanity, according to the research, that kind of touches down on the planet, where their brains are wired a bit differently, and they can just sort of naturally be more okay in that place than your average person. But as I started to actually reach out and interview a lot of really high-level people, what I started to discover was, in fact, they felt this fear. They felt this anxiety. They felt, you know, the, the butterflies in their stomach, um, just like everybody else. 
The difference is they developed a set of skills or strategies. They developed the, the ability to not, you know, turn all their energy to hunting and killing the butterflies, but to figuring out how to harness and ride them to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the big question for me, one of the big questions going in was, you know, are there just people who are freaks of nature who are, you know, the world-class creators in the world? And the truth is that for the vast majority of, of um, people, no. They've just, they do things differently that allow them to be okay in this place. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that uh, metaphor, you know, not to just hunt and kill the butterflies, but to harness and ride them. And, you know, it brings up, Jonathan, this shift that you are talking about, about not only not avoiding uncertainty, but learning to embrace it. And even as you say in the book, exalt it as, as, as a signpost. And, and also the, the one thing that is, is so powerful in, in what you write about is that it's really, it is fuel for innovation. We, it is essential for us to do something that matters, to do something new and different. Could you speak to that for just a moment? Yeah, absolutely. So, so think about it this way. The only way to have perfect information, to have complete certainty before you do something, there's only two ways that that can happen. One is if you've already done it before, so you have all the information there, or somebody else has already done it before, at which point you're no longer creating, what you're doing is replicating. And while that, you know, may be okay, you know, some people may be comfortable going through life just sort of copying what other people have done, I don't think that's what most people um, find fulfilling in the world. It's certainly not me. So to actually bring something to life that's new, that's novel, that adds to the experience of humanity, your own and other people's, to build companies, great art, you have got to be willing to actually go to a place where you do something without having all the information you want where you're in this state of uncertainty, and you would love, you know, very often, hey, you'd kill to just be able to have absolute certainty. But that's not the reality. The the greatest moments um, in business, in art, and in life come when you're willing to act with less than perfect information. So rather, you know, and it's just sort of, it's one of these universal truths. A lot of us would love for it to be otherwise. But the truth is, I mean, how boring would it be if everything that could be done was already done, then you know that then you just kind of walk around copying things as a way to exist. And to me, at least, that's not how I want to sort of move through the world. Right, and we and we would not be able to experience and enjoy the the discovery. Yeah. Of life. There's, no, there's there's no discovery. There's no growth. There's no you know. I, I mean, think of the the wonder of a child when they. They embrace a problem for the first time, and they, you know, they figure it out themselves when they create their first work of art or the painting. When I was a kid, I used to go to the junkyard on the weekends, and uh, I would, I would, you know, fill the back of my dad's car with a whole bunch of discarded bicycle parts and go home, and then you know, spend the rest of the weekend just building these Franken bikes, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, which which led to a lot of injuries too because I wasn't all that good at it. <laughs> but it was this sense of wonder of, you know, there, there's a magic to the ability to create something 
that doesn't exist before you set your mind to bringing it to life. That is, is such, in my mind, it's such, you know, it's where, it's where the juice of, of who we are and what we do lies. That, um, you know, and, and if, you, if that means that you have to embrace a certain amount of uncertainty and then learn how to be comfortable with it as a way to, to reach out and, and grab and exalt um, that gift, then, um, you know, the, the goal is not to eliminate uncertainty because when we do that, we eliminate opportunity and creativity. The goal is, in fact, to embrace it, but just equip ourselves so that we can handle it. Yes, absolutely. And I love that sense of wonder that you're talking about. You know, what you're talking about, Jonathan, is what Deepak Chopra has called the wisdom of uncertainty. And I love that phrase as well. I love yours, a sense of wonder. It's that, you know, we think... We want to know it end to end. We think we want certainty. But the truth is that when things are absolutely certain, already determined, set in place, we actually have the least freedom to to create and to take advantage of emerging opportunities. And in contrast, the wisdom of uncertainty, the sense of wonder is recognizing that the more open we are to that uncertainty, the more free we are to create and discover and allow new potentials to emerge, right? Absolutely. And, and what's interesting, too, and, and, and I, I have this sort of um, bizarre combination of left brain, right brain, where there's one side of me which is a bit metaphysical and open to all sorts of ideas and Eastern philosophy, and the other side immediately says, well, but what's the science behind that? So one one of the things that's been a you know sort of a deep interest of mine is I I'm always out there trying to find okay what is the validated peer reviewed academic you know published science around all of these things and and one of the great discoveries in doing the research for this last book was that there is huge science to back up all of what we're talking about. Yes, and and. Uh, I I know that you have such depth of of evidence in the book and and knowledge about that. What would you say, Jonathan, would be the one most surprising bit of science yeah. th- that that you discovered? Um, you know, when I was looking at uh, the different strategies that people used to really be able to embrace uncertainty and operate at the highest levels of, of industry and, and entrepreneurship. Um, one of the biggest surprises was a, a combination of two things. On the science level, that um, a practice which has been around for thousands of years, which is you know sort of a modern name for it is attentional training, but we know it in all sorts of other names as mindfulness, uh, loving-kindness, meditation, meditation, transcendental meditation. There are all sorts of flavors of it. That in the last 30 years, um, these practices have been studied on a university level, and there's really tremendous peer-reviewed research published. Initially, they were studied on, you know, the, the interest was around stress management. And what we know now is that a lot of the work now is actually moving towards creativity and innovation and performance. And what we see is that th- this is one of the biggest force multipliers for creativity and innovation on the planet. And for, you know, when, when we're in a time 
where you know, there's this increasing sense that what got us here won't get us there. We need new ideas and new solutions. Um, you know, we've got this thing which doesn't cost any money, which we can all do 20 minutes a day, and it will be absolutely transformative on both an individual and an organizational um, and you know, larger scale on a cultural level. Very powerful. And now that we've got both the science and the sages <laughs> yeah. throughout time telling us the power of mindfulness, of intention, of centering our thoughts and, you know, using uh, meditation to tap into that creative resource within us. And I love that you said, you know, it's the biggest force multiplier for all of us, for our creativity, innovation, and performance. And what I would love to do, uh, Jonathan, we're going to take a, just a very short break. We're going to be back to talk about some more of the science and more specifically some of the strategies, tools, uh, and techniques that you offer in the book that can be the most powerful for it, not only embracing uncertainty, but really transforming and turning those energies into fuel for us. This is Julianne Turner. We'll be right back on Conscious Shift. Would you like to know the secrets that Arnold Schwarzenegger, Oprah Winfrey, Aaron Brockovich, and other highly successful people use to reach unparalleled greatness? And to discover right now how you too can use the same powerful steps to live the life of purpose and potential you know is within you, you can. You can discover those exact secrets and steps and start seeing powerful and profound results in your life and work right now with Conscious Shift host Julianne Turner's exclusive Creator's Guide mini book, her gift to you, a powerful results-focused version of her groundbreaking three-book series and Power Arc Creator's Guide available free to you for a limited time. Go to www. ConsciousShiftNow.com to claim Julianne's free mini book gift to you, available now, especially for all Conscious Shift listeners. Remember, as Conscious Shift host, author, and executive coach, Julianne Turner shares you're already creating your life, work, and world through the choices you make and the creative expressions you share. It's true. Yet, as Julianne reveals the real question, are you creating your life and work consciously or unconsciously? Claim your mini book gift now to discover the secrets and steps to consciously creating the life you most desire. Just like Oprah and Arnold, there is a powerful life arc of creation awaiting you. Never stop short of your greatness. Julianne is a world authority on the creative process, and her insights will guide and inspire you to create your own conscious shift into the true power and signature greatness already within you. To shift into your highest purpose, profitability, and potential, Go to www.consciousshiftnow.com to receive your gift mini book. That's www.consciousshiftnow.com to claim your gift and your greatness right now. Welcome back, everyone. This is Conscious Shift, and I'm Julianne Turner, your host. And we are talking to day to Jonathan Fields, the author of the book Uncertainty, Turning Fear and Doubt into Fuel 
for brilliance. And as we shared, Jonathan has experienced his share of uncertainty as a former SEC mega firm lawyer and also as an entrepreneur. He actually launched a yoga center in New York City the day before 9-11 and actually made a go of it. And now Jonathan is a self-described, spiritually inclined, obsessed with creation, marketing and innovation consultant. Jonathan, I love that uh, description. Uh, Every part of it, the spiritually inclined, obsessed with creation, that really resonates with our audience here on Conscious Shift. And so we were sharing just before the break that uncertainty, the shift around uncertainty not only not avoiding it or fearing uncertainty, but actually begin to build a sense of wonder about the potential that it really marks when we feel that unease, that that really those butterflies that come up, that that means we're about to do something powerful that matters. And you were sharing that you have done a tremendous amount of research on what can help us make the biggest difference in making that shift. One of those things, remarkably, that the science reveals is is for us to be mindful, to actually use tools like meditation, intention, that, that those things help us. What else would you recommend as we start facing our uncertainty and embracing it? Yeah, so the, you know there are sort of two big things that we've talked about already. One is mindfulness, and the other we started out not naming it, but we talked around it. It's this the idea of reframing, of looking at a scenario, and instead of defaulting to the doom and gloom storyline, um, consciously stepping back, stopping that spin cycle, and saying, "What is the positive storyline that I can tell?" And those are two really powerful techniques. But let's let's go a little bit further than that. Oh, Jonathan, the, let me just interrupt you on one thing. Sure. On the on the reframing, I love that you're talking about a positive storyline. Can you give us an example? I think I know what you mean, but let's just make sure that our listeners understand what is a positive storyline. Absolutely. So, you know, let's say you 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 brought up the um the example of I launched a yoga center in Manhattan and signed the lease the day before nine eleven. And the next day, I had a decision to make. Was I going to go forward? Was I going to fold this? I, I was married with a three-month-old baby. Um, I knew people that had died in the tower that day. So, you know, the immediate default in a scenario like that, for me and for most people, is the doom and gloom scenario. Well, there's no way I can make this succeed. I'm going to fail. It's impossible. And what I did then, and without really consciously realizing what I was doing, is because of, of an experience that I had, is I pulled back and I said, you know, I need to ask two other questions that I can tell two different stories and then create a positive frame for this. One of the questions is, what if I do nothing? Um, Which very often paints the most scary scenario for most people, the neutral scenario, which, which is really a fallacy. There is no sideways in life or business. It's only slowly down. And then more importantly, I ask the question, which is, what if I succeed? And I tell a really deliberate, articulate, detailed story around that. And then I do one other thing. When I I go back and I ask that what if I fail question, I have to ask one more question around it. And that is, how will I recover? And I create an equally powerful storyline around that. 
And what I do by doing that is I give my brain alternative stories to latch onto and to spin and to embrace and turn into um, stories and translations and, and to frame a circumstance. We don't change the circumstance at all, but we allow our brains to experience it and to, to frame it differently in a way that inspires us to take action rather than shuts us down and immobilizes and paralyzes us. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. That is very powerful. And so how did you answer those questions? Or in the short, in the short yeah. version, how did you answer those questions that enabled you to move forward at that time? Yeah, so for me, the answers were, you know, the, the, the doom and gloom scenarios. You know, what if I fail? And I painted a picture of, of you know, an unpleasant storyline. But then I said, what if I succeed? How will I recover? I said, well, you know what? I, it, it will hurt. I could potentially lose a serious chunk of money. But I'll have my family. I'll have my friends. I will, um, you know, I, I'm capable. I'm smart. I'm, I work very hard. I have an ethic. None of that goes away. And I will figure out ways to find my way back and to make whatever money I need to repay whoever I need to repay and to get back on my feet and, and do well. I always have. Then I moved into the sideways scenario and said, what if I just walked away and didn't do anything here? And I started to realize this was shutting me down. Mm. That, you know, to me, that was, especially at a time in the city where everybody felt like we needed to do something, that that was me just sitting on the sidelines and stewing. And then I asked the scenario, and I said, well, well what if I succeed? And I painted this storyline that said, the city has never been more in need of healing and community than it is right now. And I created this beautiful, gorgeous visual in my mind of what it would be like to be building and growing and creating this thriving center that offered that at the city's time of greatest need. And that was so inspiring. And, you know, that really helped me choose that path. And not only did it help you choose that path, Jonathan, it helped you actually create that reality. Yeah. Right? It pulled you forward. You created consciously a a positive creative tension that was led by magnetized to pull you forward toward that inspiring vision of being a force for reemergence and thriving even in the midst of challenge. And you did just that. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are many different ways to look at how that works. Um, but, yeah, you know, when you sort of plant that seed and create that anchor out in the distant future, you know, you end up, whether it's the universe rising up to support you or whether you, you choose to view it as just that decision subconsciously changes the way you exist in the world. You make a thousand tiny choices and tiny actions in a way that you never would have before. I agree. It, it, it draws you to it in a way that defining it less clearly might not. Exactly. And so, number one, you mentioned mindfulness. And number two, reframing and building a positive storyline, just as you did in this case. Notice that the circumstances aren't immediately changing until you change your view, your anchor, your worldview, your vision. And then that, that in turn, changes everything. Yeah, exactly. Um 
And if, if we have time for something else, I mean, I'm happy to share one or two other things. That yes, makes please do. After after those two, then then what are some of the strategies and tools? I know we can't get to all of them. Sure. Uh, but as you share so many powerful ones in the book, but just share uh, one or two with us now. Yeah. So let's go really practical here. Um, and this has to do with, and I break this sort of different strategies and interventions into workflow changes, personal practices, and environmental changes. So let's talk about a workflow change that we can all make. The way that most of us work is we work in these really long windows where we sit down in the morning at 8 or 9 o'clock, we work till lunch. A lot of people don't take lunch anymore. They eat at their desk for 15 minutes and keep working. And then by the time the afternoon comes, we're burned out, we're fried, we're anxious, and we're not doing our best work anymore and wondering why we can't really create on a high level and why those mean nasties, the anxiety of uncertainty starts to just rise up even more. So what we know now is that the brain actually is not capable of functioning at a very high level after about 90 minutes of intense work. We literally, we start to lose focus, we start to lose problem-solving ability and creativity, and our mood starts to plummet as well. We become more anxious, more moody, more frustrated, and much less productive. Most people push through that, and in doing so, you're what you create starts to, you know, the quality of it starts to plummet. You become more frustrated because you're not doing what you know you're capable of doing. And the other thing that happens is that fear center in your brain. Well, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, there's a part of the brain called the frontal cortex, which kind of rides shotgun over that fear center. It's, you know, it keeps it in check. It's the rational brain that says, no, no, you know, you stay in the back there and we're going to keep plugging along. Well, after about 90 minutes, that frontal cortex area, it really starts to get depleted. And it can't keep the fear center in check nearly as effectively. Mm. So, you know, things start to go haywire to a certain extent. So there's a really easy solution to this, which is to shift the way that you work. So rather than just powering through for hours at a time, work in very deliberate, intense bursts. I call it bursting and refueling, where you work for no the, more than 90 minutes at a time. But when you do it, you really commit to work, you know. We're not checking Twitter and Facebook and texting and cell phone. We're saying, this is 90 minutes, this is intense, and I'm going to focus. And then even if you're in the middle of something, you say, okay, it's time for a break. And I literally have an app on my computer that makes me do it. (laughs) It it, it pops up on my screen, and it says you have 30 seconds to save what you're working on, and then it fades the screen to gray. Um, Because I just don't have the willpower (laughs) to do it myself. And... um, And then I go, and then you go, and you take anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 minutes, and you do something that refuels you, and that allows your brain, you know, that sort of more conscious, controlling part of the brain to recharge. And those can be things like exercise, meditation, having good, nutritious food, listening to music, going for a walk. There are a whole bunch of different things. But that simple shift, you know, it it really changes not only what we're capable of doing from a work standpoint, but it changes the mindset that accompanies really intensive work and especially creative and innovative and and problem-solving work. And, you know, some people will ask me, well, but if you keep taking all these breaks all day long, don't you get a lot less done? And though it's counterintuitive, in fact, the exact opposite happens because we become so much more productive and effective in those 90-minute bursts, (coughs) excuse me, that we can literally work a few hours less a day and get substantially more done. And the quality of what we get done is a lot higher. Yes. Um, and, we, and we enjoy the process a lot more, too. Yeah, enjoy the process and 
as you said, imagine not only taking the break uh, and using the timer. I think that's brilliant. I, th- I know a lot of entrepreneurs who actually do that and, and do those intense bursts. But I think your part, your second part there is equally and, and maybe more important uh, to that sequence, Jonathan, and that is the burst and refuel. Yes. In other words, many of us will burst and then, you know, still fiddle around with Twitter right. or, you know, the computer or whatever, doing things and not truly take a break. Yeah, you've really got to step away. And I mean, and, and th- there's another benefit to that, which is that we know that a lot of the greatest and, and everybody will know this intuitively when I, when I share it. We all know that our greatest ideas don't come when we're trying to come up with our greatest ideas. They come when we work really hard at it, and then we step away, we do something else. We completely clear ourselves from the process of work. You know, it's the classic shower story. Um, And the reason is that's the way our brain works. You know, so we need to create those pauses also for the really good stuff to have space to actually come up. Exactly. And and as you're saying, one of the many most one of the most powerful of those techniques to refueling is taking a walk. Uh-huh. Right. And allowing all that you've that you've got going on in that brain of yours to coalesce and emerge and to come forth in in the form of a creative idea. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and again, there's it's amazing how much research I found on things like this. You know, there's now actually real research that shows that walking, especially outside of nature, creates a, a, a fairly profound shift in the way that your brain functions. Mm. Oh, I wish we could go even more deeply <laughs> into that. That's fascinating. And there are so many of these keys that you share and in more depth in uncertainty in your book, Jonathan. Um, is there maybe one more from a personal or mindset uh, standpoint you could share? And then we definitely want to get everybody the information about the book and where to find that and to find you. But is there maybe one more example, practical yeah, sure. tool that you yeah, could share? Absolutely. So one of the um, one of the real gifts of writing the book is that I was able to interview a lot of people across many different fields and pick up on patterns that even they didn't know existed in their own lives. And what I saw a lot of people do was especially really highly creative people, um, was a huge amount of ritualizing in their lives. So, um, and, and people have written about this. You mentioned Steve Pressfield and his great book, The War of Art, and Steve's a friend of mine. And he talks about ritualizing the actual work process. And that sort of shows the muse that you're ready to sit down and, and get you past the resistance. The interesting thing that I found is that many of the top, most creative artists and entrepreneurs didn't so much ritualize their working process, but they ritualized their non-working lives. So there were dozens of little things that happened throughout the day where instead of having to make decisions about them every day, they just completely automated them. I call it dropping certainty anchors. So it was almost like they were you know, dropping these dozens of little tethers where at all these little moments throughout the day, they knew what was coming next. So they kind of knew that they had all these moments where they would be able to touch stone. And that gave them the sensation of being able to float up higher during the work and do, you know, take more risk and, and, and feel a little bit more spacious in the name of really um, creating great things. And simple examples of this are, and it's funny because I would ask people, you know, like, do you do anything um, on a regular basis? Are you highly ritualized or routine? And, and, and they would reject it out of hand saying, I'm a creative person. I have to just follow my muse and flow. <laughs> and then you would say, well, what did you have for breakfast today? And they say, well, I had a sesame bagel with a 
you know, a little bit of cream cheese and a half a tomato and a cup of coffee with that cream. And they say, well, what did you have for breakfast yesterday? And it would be the same thing, and the day before and the day before. And you start to realize, and they would start to realize, that actually a lot of their non-working life had been completely ritualized and automated. Um, and so what we started to realize is that this was actually causing a shift in psychology that allowed people um, a bit more freedom to to lean into that uncertain place during the creative work process, knowing that they had all these other touchstones of certainty around them. So really simple thing to do is to take a look at your life and see, are there all these sort of like micro decision-making moments throughout your day where you might be able to just completely sort of put them on autopilot in the name of creating these certainty anchors, dropping these certainty anchors and freeing a little bit more of that creative space in your brain to do the work. Mm, yeah, I, I can definitely see the power of that. And it, not only does it simplify uh, your life and, and make those routine activities uh, take up less, less time, right, less thought, mm-hmm. yeah. really, and, and, and with that, you're, you actually perhaps are preserving some bandwidth. <laughs> exactly, you know, it's a great some, way to phrase it. Right, some mental and creative bandwidth for the things that are really worthy of it. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the classic example was, uh, you know, the, the, the just recently passed uh, Steve Jobs, who, you know, essentially wore the exact same thing every day for the last few decades. Yes, the, the black turtleneck. In fact, yeah. uh, uh, so many people actually have gone out and bought those right. same turtlenecks, not only in a tribute to Steve, but, you know, absolutely, he used all of his creative genius, not for what he was going to wear each day, but for what really mattered to him. Yeah. Now, the other question about that I just wanted to touch on is that's tremendously grounding for us. If we're in other areas of our lives, reaching out, outside the comfort zone, stretching out into that visionary realm to have those grounded places, those certain tethers, certainty tethers, as you say, um, can be such a nice, again, creative balance, uh, uh, balancing that creative tension, that, 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 you know, stretching out into the unknown, but also feeling grounded enough that we have some power and some ground to stand on. Absolutely. And, you know, one, one of the guys, the guy that actually leads the book, Randy Commissar, who's this visionary visionary entrepreneur in, in Silicon Valley who's also um, got a decades-long, a very deep insight meditation practice, shared with me, he said, you know, when you, when, you, when you step out into the ambiguous void, you cannot be entirely relative. You have to have a keel or a place to touch stone because if you don't, you essentially spin off into oblivion. And these are practices that help give you that keel. They, they help give you a place to touch stone. Mm. Yes, and so many, many, many other tools uh, and stories and rituals that Jonathan shares in Uncertainty, the book. And Jonathan, I want to make sure that we have time to share with everyone, you know, where can they find the book? Where can they find you? And what else is going on that they may want to know about? Sure. Um, and, uh, they can, the book is uh, available pretty much at booksellers everywhere. It's at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and a lot of independent bookstores, too. Um, it's got a great little website uh, just for the book, too, with, um, with a trailer that's, uh, that's, that we've just gotten tremendous feedback for. 
Um, and that's at theuncertaintybook.com. And my home base online, the place where you can find me bopping around most of the time, is my blog, which is just my name, jonathanfields.com. And pretty much everywhere else on social media, um, I'm an early adopter and uh, sort of early on the scene of social media. So Jonathan Fields on Twitter, on Facebook, all over the place. And I'm, and I'm, I'm pretty interactive. So if you have more questions, you know, I'm always happy to sort of continue the conversation. Beautiful. And just so everybody heard that, I want to repeat, uh, first of all, the book can be found at uh, all of the, you know, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, those kinds of places. But there's also a site for the book called TheUncertaintyBook.com. And then you can find Jonathan at JonathanFields.com, and that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. Fields, F-I-E-L-D-S dot com, JonathanFields dot com. And then on social media, in fact, just a little little additional tidbit, Jonathan talks about how social media can can actually be create an environment for you and be to, really create some tools for you yeah. uh, dealing a uh, context, you know, some anchoring <laughs> for you as you seek to reframe and co-create with others. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us on Conscious Shift. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been I really enjoy the conversation to everybody listening. I appreciate your time and your kindness. It's, it's a gift, and I appreciate it. Um, a thought to leave with is really just um, to understand that when you feel that sensation, when you're, when you're exploring doing something that's new, that's different, that makes you a little bit uneasy, to take a step back and ask yourself, am I uneasy because it's the wrong thing to do, or am I uneasy because this matters to me, I'm vested, and this is a signpost that I need to actually go deeper and move into this. Beautiful. Thank you, Jonathan, for sharing that thought, uh, for inviting us into uncertainty to see it differently, to reframe it. And thank you for shining your light in the world and sharing this message so that we can all move more powerfully into our own creation and co-creation. My pleasure. Thanks so much. And this is Julianne Turner. We will be right back to close out on Conscious Shift. Is it possible you are playing small in your life and work and you may not even know it? Conscious Shift show host, executive coach, and author Julianne Turner reveals that this is the pivotal time to ask that question. Because it is important for all of us to be aware that playing small can sneak up on us in the most stealthy ways and steal the light and joy we're here to shine. As a world authority on the creative process and guide to world changers, thought leaders, and light shifters across the globe, Julianne Turner shares the truth. You can only play big when you shift fully into your unique greatness at every level and share your signature constellation of strengths, talents, gifts, experience, expertise, passion, and purpose. It is your unique greatness that sets you apart, that differentiates you, your work, your purpose, and your value from all others. More than that, you already have untapped potential and profitability within you. Now is the time to step it up and play big, as you know you are meant to. Always, you know you're here for high purpose. 
Now is the time to raise your game. Join Conscious Shift host Julianne Turner right now to raise your game. Simply go to www.raiseyourgamenow.com to view Julianne's powerful Raise Your Game webinar as her gift to you and discover your greatness now. This is your chance to see the Raise Your Game video everyone is raving about. Enjoy immediate free access to the life-shifting Raise Your Game webinar now at www.raiseyourgamenow.com. This is your time to step into your greatness. Welcome, Conscious Shifters. Just a brief note before we close today. We've just been having a wonderful conversation with Jonathan Fields, the author of Uncertainty, Turning Fear and Doubt into Fuel for Brilliance. And just have discovered today how you can rewrite a positive storyline whenever you encounter uncertainty. This is your opportunity to embrace it, transform those energies into your highest artistry, your highest opportunity. Hope you've enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time on Conscious Shift. You've been listening to Conscious Shift with your host, Julianne Turner. If you're ready to make your own conscious shift to awaken the power and singular greatness already within you, Julianne is your expert coach and trusted ally, your passionate professional guide to create your highest purpose, profitability, and potential in your life, work, and world. Just go now to Julianne's website, www.creatorsguide.com, and fill in the special pop-up you'll instantly receive free access to invaluable resources and bonuses that will guide you forward. That's www.creatorsguide.com. Just go there now and fill in the special pop-up. Now is the time to shift into your greatness. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.